Good morning, everybody. So glad you were here. You enjoying the rain? Yeah, it's great and awesome and wonderful. Thanks be to God for that. If you're new, you're here for the very first time, thanks be to God that you were here. Uh, boy, you picked a nice morning to sleep in, and you chose to get up and come to worship, and we are so glad that you are here. I want to encourage you to go ahead, if you find your Bibles, you have them, uh, open them up, find them to the Gospel of Matthew. If you come here in the mornings and you don't have uh, your phone with you, and you or you want to use a hard copy, every time you walk in the center, you see a Bible back there, okay? And if you're watching online, you got time to go find you one, kind of get settled in, find your notes, and get ready to go as we dig again into the Sermon on the Mount. And I would like first to begin just right off the bat with prayer this morning. Yes, God, we're about to open your word again, and, and we know that your words are words of life, not words of death. That we know, God, when you speak, the tomb, uh, the stone can be moved. All those enemies within us, God, those voices, those, those things that seem to hold us back within us, that speak against us. We declare, God, when we read your word that they don't have a hold on us, God. That there is victory in your name. There is victory in your word. And there are some folks here today, God, needing to be set free from some stuff. They're all bound up. And I pray, God, that as we read your word, you will loosen whatever it is that has got them bound up. And there are some, God, who just find themselves in a life with no direction. They find themselves out of control and their family's out of control. Their own personal life is out of control. But somehow, God, as you open up your word, that you would give them a sense of direction and show them some boundaries and rails within which they can live their life, God. And they can know joy once again. So again, healing power, God, unleash it this morning as we read your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Is there anybody here in the room or online that likes to dance? Anybody feel like, I want to see a show of hands, those who like to dance, who, who love to dance. Okay, I see a few hands going up, and I see a few hands down. And I think I kind of know why for some of you, okay? I grew up loving to dance. I just like to dance. I just think dancing is a good thing. I enjoy it. But when I was in high school, I met this girl, and we kind of got connected. And she was a year older than me, so I was dating an older woman, and... <clears throat> She came from a very strict, conservative Baptist home. And before I ever would go out with the girl, the dad would make sure I understood that no dancing's allowed in our household. And so here I am dating this girl, and I love to dance, but I had made a promise not going to take her to a dance, and so there's no dancing. And then when she's a senior in college, she, a senior in high school, she's accepted to a, a little, small, very religious, Christian, strict Christian college that she was going to go to. And it was this, this college was so strict, and I will not say the name of it, that there was absolutely no dancing allowed, not just on campus, no dancing allowed off campus, no dancing allowed. Uh, if you were faculty, it was very clear, no dancing allowed. If you were faculty and you were married, no dancing allowed. In fact, if you were married on faculty, they discouraged you from having sex standing up because they thought that would lead to dancing. I'm just trying to get the feel for really how rigid that they were, okay? And so I'm dating uh, this girl, and she goes off to college, and I'm going, hey, I don't think we need to date anymore. I'm set free. And I kind of make this commitment that I'm, I'm not going to date any girl that at this time that's not open to doing a little bit of dancing. I'm man card alert, man card alert. Are, are there any men in the house besides me that are familiar with this show right here? We're going to pop it up on the screen. 
Any man? I didn't think so, okay? Well, well, this little show, Dancing with the Stars, I gotta tell you, I kinda love this show. I'm not sure if I'm gonna watch it. They moved to Disney Plus, and I'm not sure if I'm gonna do that deal. But, but you know, I just, I just love it. I, I, I just love dancing. So, so much so that I bought a book after she goes off to college, a little book that shows you how to do all these different kind of dances. And it will show you where to put your feet and how to do the steps because I just wanted to learn all these different kinds of styles of dancing. And so I did that. And I thought this morning for some of you who were kind of never danced in church or even been around dancing or whatever, that I would teach you how to dance. Would you like to learn how to dance this morning? That I would teach you how to dance the waltz. Now, I don't do it very good, but I've got the book. I've read the book, and I've followed the book, and so I, I know how, so I'm just going to show you, you got to have a dance, your first dance lesson, some of you ever, and ever in church. Are you ready? Maestro, hit it. Okay, that's enough. You got the idea. Okay, so now, 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 you know how to waltz, okay? You know how to waltz, okay? And so, so I got the book. I knew the book. I could do the book. But can anybody say, was there anything missing in my dancing? When you noticed that I just, is it, was there anything missing, you think, in the dancing? <laughs> Coordination, Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was no grace, right? There was no graceful movement in the dance. It was kind of robotic and kind of mechanical, making sure I got those right box steps right on that movement. And, and, and I knew the book. I got the book. I could do the book. But there was no grace. And then an amazing thing happened. I, I met this this good-looking, intelligent, big-haired brunette, a West Texas girl whose life was full of grace. And when I danced with her and I married her, all of a sudden, the grace in her life just began to spill out into my life. And I began to learn how to live and dance with more grace. Now, the point is this. We grew up in so many churches, some of you in religion, have grown up in religion. When we grow up becoming these mechanical, robotic, joyless, strict, unloving, unfulfilled Christians because we're just trying to do it by the book. Hey, I hope you have the book. I hope you know how to do the book. But Jesus is going to talk to us here in a moment. It's a problem if that's all you have and that's all you do is it by the book. Now, Jesus is going to talk to us this morning about a subject about, called religion and righteousness that raises all sorts of questions. What does it mean to be a good person? What does it mean to be a good Christian? What does a good person, a good Christian look like? How do they live? What do they do? That's really what he's wrestling with. Now, next week, we're starting a new message series. We're calling it Perfect Progress is Perfection. And it's all based on this little verse at the end of Matthew chapter 5. I'll read it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Jesus said, be perfect 
Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, if you read that text without knowing what it means, or just as a verbatim, you're messed up. That word perfect in the Greek literally translated is be complete, be mature. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is mature, how he is complete. But right before that, he talks about all these very important issues, which we're going to start talking about next week. Perfection is not perfection. Progress is perfection. Maturity is perfection. And so starting next week, we're going to talk about what does it look like for me to have progress in my anger? How do I manage this thing called anger that I have? How, how do I manage this, my sexuality in a world that's so sexually charged? How, how do I handle marriage and divorce and estrangement and all those sort of issues? How do I handle my language and making promises and not keeping them and my yes being yes and my no being no? How do we make progress, not perfection, but progress in being who God wanted us to be, being a good person? Or what it means to be a good person. And that's really what Jesus is doing in the text we're going to read this morning as we work through the Sermon on the Mount. He's really setting up everything we're about to learn in the coming weeks and that final verse in verse 48 of chapter 5. So let's read what he says this morning. Chapter 5, verse 17, Matthew. Do not think, Jesus says, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here comes the key verse, verse 20. This is it. For I tell you that unless your righteousness, say righteousness, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, as a young man, when I'm starting to read the Bible and I come across this verse, it scares the bejeebers out of me because I knew just enough about the Pharisees. The Pharisees worked really hard at doing the right thing. They fasted twice a week. They memorized the Bible as they had it. They, they, were, they memorized the scriptures. They could do it verbatim. And they would never, ever look at a woman other than their own wife. They would just never, ever do that. And the bar of being righteous, of being good, was so high. I thought, I'll never be able to, to attain it. And that's what Jesus is saying. Rick, you'll never be able to surpass that bar. But the more I read the scriptures and the totality of the Bible, I understand that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Here's what he's saying. He's saying those Pharisees, they've not set a high bar. They set a low bar. They don't even have the right kind of Righteousness. Real churchy word, I know. So I want you to survive, surpass the low bar that they have set. And, and to clarify that, just so you know, I want you to listen to what Jesus says about the Pharisees over here in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. We'll put it on the screen. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside, 
They're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of your cup and dish. Then the outside also will be clean. Verse 27, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of the bones of the dead and everywhere unclean. Jesus is talking about what does it mean to be a good person. In your notes, number letter B, religious righteousness. A good person is defined by perfected external compliance of the law and the rules. Religious people. Define a good person as someone who always does what is right and avoids doing what is wrong and who always follows the rules on the outside. Now, centuries after Jesus, there was a saint by the name of Augustine, and he wrote about something called glittering vices. And a glittering vice is a quality in your life that looks like a virtue. It's something you do on the outside, but on the inside, it makes you feel proud. On the inside, it makes you feel holier than other people. On the inside, you actually are unloving and you look down on other people because they do not reach the level of righteousness you think they should reach. They're not good enough in your mind what goodness looks like. Winston Churchill had a political rival uh, by the name of Stafford Cripps. Cripps. And Cripps was a very strong member of parliament in Churchill's day. He was kind of known as kind of the self-righteous rule keeper. He was kind of high and mighty. He always kind of serious and somber, never doing hardly anything sort of fun. And he was always disapproving of other people's behavior. This is what Mark Twain would call a good man in the worst sense of the word. Cripps had one vice. He liked to smoke cigars. But he even gave up cigar smoking. And this is what Churchill said. Too bad those cigars were his last contact with humanity. See, a lot of good things in your life can become a glittering vice, a glittering virtue. I can believe correct doctrine. I can have the right political ideology. I can practice the right way my sexuality. I can be a good employee with a great work ethic. I can have a glittering family. I can follow all the rules and do everything that Jesus says to do on the outside and still not become the person he wants me to be. I can fail to become a good person. I wonder if there's anybody here that has any glittering vices that makes you feel so good about yourself but you're ignoring the depravity of your soul and your heart on the inside. You're just worried about external compliance. We have a lot of first responders who attend this church. One of the great joys I have as sitting in the seat that I get to sit in is be a pastor to first responders who do all sorts of amazing things in our world. Medical first responders, 
fire first responders, uh, police officers, the thin blue line. Man, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for putting your life on the line so we might live in safety and health. Can we give another round of applause for all of our... We cannot thank you enough for all that you do. Thank you. So many of them come here. And I don't know why God has led them here, but he's got to make this a place for them. I'm so grateful for that. But I've learned something, particularly from the cops. You know, I kind of take advantage of my position to ask this, this kind of universal question. And I ask, hey, tell me, what is the universal thing you look for before you pull somebody over? What's the one thing that kind of catches you out? I think we need to pull that, that, that. So I asked them. And all the cops had told me basically the same habit that you and I practice when we're driving, that someone would pull you over. And since they've told me that habit, I've never been pulled over. And no, I can't tell you. I'd have to shoot you. That put me in jail. I can't do it. But here's one of the things I know they never, never do when they pull you over. They never pull you over and say, I know, I know. You were in external compliance of all the laws, but your heart just wasn't in it. You just had a begrudging spirit. You just had to resist. You did it, but you just resisted it. You didn't do it with joy. So I want to give you a ticket for, for lack of highway shalom. Human authorities measure you based on your external compliance with the law. The kingdom of God righteousness in your notes. A good person is defined by a transformed heart. God wants to transform your heart. It's inside out goodness, not outside goodness that people see. It's inside goodness. It's an inside job. It's kind of, Cheyenne touched on this just, just for a moment last weekend in her, in, her, in her awesome message about it's what happens on the inside, not what happens on the outside. So every time you read the Bible, and you hear Jesus talking about those scribes and law and teachers of the Pharisees, and you see the word righteousness. I want you to stop and put little quotes in your mind around that little word righteousness. It's not what you think. It's not just following the rules and doing everything right on the outside. You can have a wrong kind of righteousness. And I know it's a big churchy word. You have a wrong sort of goodness. And sometimes when we are righteous religiously, we put social pressure on other people to conform the way we think they need to live their life. And they run. And usually what happens with people who are religious in a righteous sort of way, they want everybody to see and know what they're doing to see their act, to see it. When on the inside, they feel resentful about what they're having to give up. They feel resentful about their sacrifice. On the outside, they're complying, but on the inside, their inner thoughts and desires are less than full of joy and love and goodness. And unfortunately, we in the church have lost the power of this little word righteousness. We've ruined it for what it really means. It's a great, it's a wonderful word in the Bible. It's a wonderful word. For example, let's say that you're wanting to date someone and one of your friends sets you up on a blind date 
And if you're married, I encourage you not to do that, okay? I just want to say that. I'm very clear. Don't do that if you're married. But if you're single and you're somebody connects you, you want to go out on a date, and they're going to set you up, and you say, tell me, what does she look like in this? What does she look like? And they say, wow, I want you to know she's sanctified. She's holy. I mean, she's sanctimonious. She's righteous. You mean she's a righteous babe? No, she's just righteous. You're going to run as far as you can from that situation because of our understanding of what it is to be righteous and what religious people have done to that powerful word. Like it's keeping all the rules on the outside and just towing the line and all that sort of stuff. And so Jesus is writing this to these group of people who thought that Jesus was kind of criticizing the Pharisees for breaking the rules. And then maybe that was okay even for keeping the rules so strong. You can, it's okay to break the rules. It's kind of like my dad. When my dad, my, my dad went off to the Navy, my dad was raised in a very rule-following, real strict rule-following home. And so when he goes off into the Navy, his mother, the only sex education my dad said he ever got, and your pastor, that's the second time you brought up sex. That's because in a couple of weeks, we're really going to talk about it. I'm just getting you warmed up and ready, okay? So you're not afraid of the subject matter. He said, but, but the only sex education I had was my, my mother told me, there's some bad girls out there, Mather. And they hang out around every Navy ship and every Navy base. And on the inside, his first thought was, how do I know? What do they look like? Where will they be, Right? He's thinking, you know what, if keeping the rules is so boring, maybe breaking the rules is a lot of fun. I need to think about breaking the rules. And that's really what the people listening to Jesus right here thought. They thought that Jesus is trying to say, you know what, breaking the rules is a lot more fun than keeping the rules, and that's okay to do that. But Jesus is not saying that at all. They're thinking, well, maybe take a shortcut. Maybe bend the corner. Maybe kind of cheat a little bit over here, and that's okay. He's not saying that at all. Who wants to give birth to a rule-breaking kid who breaks the rules all their life? Who wants to marry a rule-breaker? Who wants to work for a rule-breaker? Who wants to go have a neurosurgeon take out cancer out of their brain with a big old tumor, and the last thing the surgeon says to you before they put you under is, man, I want you to know, I partied all through college, and I kind of cheated my way through. Wish me luck. Boop, and you're gone. No, and that's not what Jesus is saying at all. In fact, he says right here in Matthew chapter 5, he says, hey, listen, I did not come to abolish the rules. He said, I came to fulfill them. And they're thinking, no, because you're ragged on the Pharisees, you must be saying it's okay to break the rules. It's okay to vary. And he said, no, not that at all. In fact, he says that if anyone, by the stroke of a pen, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, while any means disappear from the law, the law, apart from Jesus Christ, the rules apart from Jesus Christ is one of the greatest gifts to humanity. Do not misunderstand what I am saying. Rightly understood and practiced through the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus, obeying the rules and following the law is a gift to the world. But you and I have ruined it by this righteousness religion. When Plato was trying to grab, centuries before Jesus, a philosopher, is trying to describe what it's like for a human being as a philosopher, for, for their soul to be full of goodness and their soul not to be all torn up. He claims a Greek word called dikosune, 
which means righteousness. And then when the Hebrew prophets in law about what it means for someone to live in shalom, to live in goodness, as being translated into Greek, they also claim that little word, dika osune. And then Jesus comes along to try to describe what it's like to be a good person, and he pulls these two strands of moral reflection together, and he puts them to reclaim this one little word, nika nasune. The law and the rules of God rightly practiced are a gift to you and me. Practice with the grace and the power and the presence of Jesus in your life. It can be rich. But please hear this. It's not about rule following. It's not about right doctrine. It's not about rule breaking. It's about following Jesus. It's about having a transformed heart in your nose. The kingdom of God, righteous, letter B, is the fullness of life I experience when I'm living in the reality of the kingdom. The goal of your life is not to follow the rules. The goal of your life is not to follow sin, to avoid sin. The goal of your life is to live into the fullness of life that God gives to you in the kingdom, in the kingdom of Jesus. That's the goal. If you want to have a front yard that's just a lush, beautiful front yard that has no weeds, the secret is not to pull the weeds if you don't want any weeds. The secret to having this kind of yard is to fertilize and to water and make strong the roots of the grass so there's no room for the weeds to get in. The fullness of life that you want to experience, you will not avoid sin by avoiding sin. Let me repeat that. By your own will, you will not be able to avoid sin by avoiding sin. The only way you can avoid sin is to live in to the fullness of the abundance of the joy and the presence of God, of Jesus Christ in the kingdom. And failure to live into that life will always result in temptation. And you will always eventually give in to that temptation. The only way to Complete the law to fulfill the rules is to live into the abundance of the grace of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So this week, number three, what I'm asking you to do, don't be a rule follower, don't be a rule breaker. Letter A, I will live in the abundance of the kingdom and practice surpassing goodness. I will surpass the goodness the right of the, the, the rule keepers. I want to surpass it. Are you getting this, church? It's not about external compliance. It's not just about doing this and doing that. It's about surpassing it. And the only way you can surpass it is to live in the presence and the power of the king of the kingdom himself, that is Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And God raised him from the dead to give you hope and abundant life, not just later, but right now with joy and dancing. It's the only way. So this week, this week, step into your home, step into the kingdom. When you step into your home this week, I want you to step into the abundance and the joy and the presence and the power of the kingdom and surpass, surpass the goodness, surpass it as you bless your family. 
I, I blew that this summer. I blew that in June. Remember in June, we were working through the book of James and we came to this little passage about be, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Everybody remember that passage? And the, so I'm an early morning person. I've been an early morning riser for a long time. And my early morning rising, I like my quiet time to be quiet. That's why they call it quiet time. And over time, my wife has become an early morning person. I used to have 60 minutes before she ever gets up. But now she gets up about 15, 20 minutes after I do, and she sits down right beside me by quiet time. Now, you need to understand something about me. I'm an outward processor. With our staff, I need quiet time thinking, but I want to talk out ideas out loud to say it out loud. My wife is even more of an outward processor than I am. And so she's sitting here doing her life step. And the life step is about not, about not interrupting people. You know, we talked about that, about talking, people talking. And so my wife is just processing out loud, and she's having all these revelations about, yeah, my work and my job, and no, everybody's always interrupting me. I can't get anything done. And Rick, don't you agree that when people don't interrupt you, you can get it? And I just look at her. I don't say anything. I've learned not to speak. But my wife has communicated that my, my face communicates enough. And I kind of told her, why are you talking about not interrupting while you're interrupting me. <laughs> she got the message. She did not interrupt me for a week. <laughs> she didn't really talk to me for a week. <laughs> it was not one of my more righteous moments because I had an agenda. This week, when you step into the kingdom of your home, you say, God, my time is your kingdom. My time is your kingdom. And in your kingdom, there's enough time. It's not about my agenda and me not being interrupted. I will give my family and my friends and my neighbors all the time they need because it's your time, not mine. This week, surpassing goodness Whatever that looks like to your, you step into it to your family. This week when you go to your work, you bring surpassing goodness, not just a basic minimum rule compliance. Hey, I, I got to be there at 8. Well, I'll be there at 8.01. Well, I get off at 5. I'll get off at 4.59. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't show up and do the basic bare minimum rule conformance. You work with surpassing goodness. The Apostle Paul puts it this way over in Colossians uh, chapter 3. It's a powerful little verse. You've heard it. See, he says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it as if you're working for the Lord. Because you're not working for a human master. Do it with surpassing goodness. So when you show up for work, you say, God, would you help me? When I show up for work today, just help me, God. Partner with me to bring surpassing goodness to the people I work with. Help me to solve problems. Help me to bring joy into the workplace. Help me to resist temptation to give in to the grind and just kind of do it because I have to and I don't want to. Let surpassing goodness flow out of my life. When you come across somebody this week, this week when you meet somebody, just don't do the bare minimum going, hi, hello, how are you, and then walk on. Bring to them surpassing goodness. Encourage them, lift them up, love them, see them as a human being, value them. And you know, Pastor, I don't know what to say. It's, I, I, I just feel imperfect about talking to people. It doesn't have to be perfect. 
They'll know your heart. They'll get it. Hey, this past weekend, there was a guy who stopped me on the crossing because I wasn't teaching. He stopped. I want you to know, Pastor, uh, last weekend's message about uh, how to overcome evil. It was the best message I've ever heard. It was awesome. I said, it was? He said, yeah. Then I learned later, this was the second time I'd ever been at Pathway. Last week was the first time he'd ever been in a church. It was the first message he'd ever heard. Pastor, it was the best message I've ever heard. It was the only message I've heard. He didn't tell me that. I found that out, but I knew his heart. I could tell his heart. People will know your heart. Let me ask you what's in your heart. Jesus puts it this way over here in Matthew chapter 11. We'll put it up on the screen. I may have to read from there. He says, a good man, a good person brings good things out of the good stored up in them. And an evil person brings out the evil things out of the evil stored up. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I don't have to stop and think and try to avoid saying the wrong thing or to make sure I say the right thing. Whatever's in my heart, that's what's going to come out. So what am I going to do this week? I'm going to ask God, let her be. God, let to change the automatic flow of my inner thoughts and desires. My goal is not to follow the rules. My goal is not to avoid sin. My goal is for God to change my heart. So it's just an automatic flow. That out of my heart, when I speak, it is goodness. It is truth. It is kindness. It is strength. It is wonder. It is awe. It is gratitude. Just naturally, it just flows out of me because whatever's in your heart, it is what's going to flow. So how do you do that? How do you change the inside? This week, let us see. I will memorize scripture. I'm challenging you this week to memorize scripture into your mind. And over time, it changes automatically the flow of your heart, of what comes out of your heart. Not conforming, but it just kind of flows out of any situation. And you got to be careful, because even in your humanity, you can make memorizing Scripture a spiritual merit badge. Look at me. I can quote Scripture. I can say Bible verses in my prayer. I'm pretty good, aren't I? And all of a sudden, it becomes a glittering vice that makes the inside of the cup ugly and nasty and self-righteous, right? Anybody remember, anybody remember uh, when you were younger, going to school, going to church, and they'd make you memorize Scripture, and you'd have these little sword drill Bible verses competition? I remember having to memorize the 23rd Psalm in the fifth grade. And this other girl was better than me. And I was pretty good. But she memorized, She got more little stickers in her Bible than I did. And I killed her in my heart. I remember, listen, I'm memorizing the Bible. And I'm going, oh, I cannot believe you're memorizing the Bible better than me. Memorizing the Bible by itself. If it makes you proud and it makes you haughty, and it makes you feel good about yourself. That's self-righteousness. But if you allow it to get into your mind and transform your stinking thinking into kingdom thinking, kingdom thinking that gets into your heart, you can think of things in your mind when you're in certain situations. You're in a long checkout line at the grocery store. Long checkout line. Line so long, and I'm in a hurry. I'm in a hurry. I gotta get there. Automatically, you can remember that little that little beatitude. Blessed are the flexible, for they will not be bent out of shape. 
Now, that's not in the Bible, just in case you're wondering. It's not, a, but it should be because my dad taught me that when I was a little kid, and I just memorized that. But it pops up all the time, and you can claim that and pretend that it is, okay? Because that's really a good one. Blessed are the flesh, well, they won't be being on shit. Or you're sitting in an ER, you're sitting in a doctor's office, and you're all, you're waiting, and you don't know what to anticipate, and all of a sudden you can stop, hold, 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 hold it, hold it. Don't have my Bible app here. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first, seek first. And his, you, you cannot seek the kingdom of God without his goodness, without his righteousness. You can't do that. And automatically, you can kind of calm. You wake up in the middle of the night, and the clock's just spinning, and your mind's just spinning, and you're worried about tomorrow. You're thinking about everything about tomorrow, but all of a sudden, your mind reclaims that scripture. You memorize it in your head. You know, hey, do not worry about tomorrow, Jesus said, do, because tomorrow will worry about itself. And that all of a sudden, can kind of, and you can kind of calm down, and more stuff good will flow out of your life. You're in a car, and you're driving. I mean, you're just driving, and all of a sudden, there's a long line of traffic, and you're just thinking how you're out of control, and I got so much time, and you just can say, you know what, God, just, just thank, you, thank you for this gift of this car. Thank you for the daily bread of the gift of even being able to own a car that can get me from point A to point B. And you know what, God, it's your time. It's not my time. It's your time, and I'm even going to let somebody in in front of me because I'm living in your kingdom, not my kingdom. This week, step into the kingdom with your money. And when a beggar offers you, asks you to look, they say, give him something. It's not going to change their poverty. It's not going to change hunger. You know what it's going to change? It's going to change your heart. Because when you let go of what you're holding on to, and you step into the abundance of the generosity of the kingdom of God. Well, there is unlimited abundance. It changes your heart. It just does. So this week, church, surpass the goodness. Surpass it. Surpass it. I want to read this last little verse to you. That's just kind of a little hidden gem in scripture that a lot of people have never heard. Or you've read it and you've blown right by it. In Jesus' teaching, here's what he says, Matthew chapter 11, verse 16. He says, what, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. You hear that? That's Jesus. That's our Pied Piper. He's saying, come follow me. This week, read the book. Do the book. I hope you do. If you're a rule breaker, I want you to know there's a better way. If you're a rule keeper, I want you to know there's a better way. And the better way is following Jesus. So this week, step into the kingdom. Step into the kingdom. And when you step into his amazing goodness, dance. And dance with grace. The Lord of the dance is calling you to live 
and to enjoy and dance. <laughs>